Time for a quick dig, Dan. It's for you. The Jazz look to keep the magic alive this weekend in Arrowhead, though they're heavy underdogs against Patrick Mahomes and the crew. Dan, what do the Jags need to do to upset the Chiefs? Yeah, not fall behind like they have. They've gotten off to, uh, off to awful starts in some games recently. So try to get the game to the second half in somewhat of a striking distance. They can't fall behind with mistakes. I think defensively, they've got a middle field open pressure. Patrick kind of play a little bit of coverage, but also blitz them to create a little bit of chaos. They're actually pretty good at it. We're going to do that on NFL Live today. And then offensively, you know, Trevor's got to find one-on-one -on -one matchups if they're going to see some man coverage. And then they've got a block of front that's way better way better now than they were in the beginning of the year. Chris Jones gets a lot of credit, absolutely, but Carlos Dunlap and Carl Laftis and Mike Dana are playing well. Jacksonville's going to have to block a pretty darn good front. Give Trevor some time. All right. The Fresh Hour first take. Let's let it roll. Top of the hour. The Cowboys gear up for a battle as they head to the Bay for NFC Divisional Round matchup. The Niners coming into the matchup. Winners of 11 straight. The Cowboys will look to lean on their franchise quarterback as Dak Prescott quieted the haters with a huge performance in the win versus the Bucks last week as he threw four TDs and ran one in. Dallas is currently a four-point underdog as they make their way out west to San Francisco. It's the smallest underdog amongst all the road playoff teams this weekend. Our analytics gives Dallas a 53% chance to win Sunday's matchup. I mean, that's pretty even. That's pretty ridiculous. 53% Dallas you, on the road? Well, you, not, come on. You get mad at the analytics team, okay? Oh, my right, gosh. I'm not a part of that. Woody back here with us, Mad Dog, as you can see, Dan Orlovsky. Okay, so Woody's Dallas like could also be. Hair. Look, what? I do. Oh, my God. I do. I, I'm not going to argue with you about okay. it. I do. Woody, okay. I like the green. Thank you. Um, looking to get a little revenge for the Niners, eliminating them last season. Who's the most important cowboy not named Dak Dog? I think it's Parsons. I think they need somebody on that defense to make a mess of this game because the Niners, he's a great play caller. They have those four weapons. Ayuk is coming into his own. Him and Purdy have a good connection going on right now. McCaffrey's excellent. Kittle's Kittle. And then you got D.B. Samuel. Plus, they got Trent Williams on the left side. I mean, that is a very good offensive team, and he's a great play quarter. So you need somebody on Dallas to make an LT kind of play, to make that interception return at 40 yards, to you know create a fumble in a big spot, change the – flip the field with a sack in a huge situation. And their best defensive player is Parsons. And the Niners have a great offense. I think they need him – to make a huge play. He'd be my guy in that spot. Danny? Uh, I think it's a great point. I'll be interested if they play him at middle linebacker like they did against Tampa. I think that's a totally fair kind of person you point to. I'll say CeeDee Lamb. You guys know in the first hour I talked about how great this San Francisco defense is, and it is. And it's a lot easier for me to sit here and figure out, all right, this is how you beat them and or attack them than actually going and getting it done. But if you look at the teams that have had some type of offensive success against this defense, it's been a couple here in the past couple weeks. It was the Raiders, and it was because Devontae Adams played incredible football. And it was Seattle a little bit, you know, in that first half, first 35 minutes of that game, and it was because DK Metcalf played incredible football. I don't think Dallas wins this game if CeeDee Lamb does not go over 100 yards. There's not much you can do against the San Francisco defense. 
If I was the play caller, I'm sitting here, Kellen Moore, going, what do I do? You can't run the football consistently against them. You're not going to rip off explosive runs that much against them. They pack the middle of the field, and it's smart because they know they have the best defensive player in football, Nick Bosa. So the ball's got to come out of the quarterback's hands. They try to take away short completions, and they'll give you some stuff to the edge. So Dak Prescott's going to have to push the ball to the perimeter against CD, or with CeeDee Lamb. And I think the best way is to make sure that um, you, you spread them out, you get the ball to the perimeter. CeeDee Lamb's going to have to have a huge game. Well, guys, listen, I'm a former office lineman, so I'm never going to pick one guy, but I'm going to pick that unit. I'm going to pick the Dallas Cowboys office line. And the reason why is because, first of all, this has kind of been a re reshuffled unit the whole year. I mean, they've, they've had a lot of different personnel. Jason Peters, who was a left tackle in, in the last game, he got hurt. He, he's out. And it's almost impossible to run the ball on the San Francisco 49ers. They haven't given up a 70-yard rusher all year, I believe. Right. And so I think when you look at the – when you look going to this game, I don't think you have to have a, a, you know, a ton of yards rushing. I think you're going to have to have some volume. You're going to have to run the ball. Volume. Not necessarily yards, volume. But more importantly – they can't be one-dimensional against the 49ers because once a team knows that you're one-dimensional, guess what's going to happen? Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, those guys are going to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. Those guys need to protect. They need to try, continue to run the ball. More importantly, protect for Dak because like Dan talked about, if you look at this 49ers defense, they're good on all three levels, but I would say the weakest link of their defense is their secondary, particularly their corners. Right. Give Dak an opportunity to find a CD Lamb, to expose those guys on the back end, because that's going to be their best opportunity against their San Francisco 49ers defense. We've seen it before. We've seen Jared Stidham a couple weeks ago, from the, the quarterback from, right. the, from, the, from the Raiders. Had, had, a lot of success. Yeah. had a lot of success against his 49ers defense, particularly in their secondary. Got to be able to protect the quarterback. That's going to be huge. I am shocked that Dallas is only a three, four-point underdog. I mean, these are the Niners. They've won eight or not, whatever, ten in a row. What have they? They've been unbelievable. Look, right. anybody. I, I feel like everybody's so high on the Niners, and I understand well, that Brock Purdy has done an incredible job. Well, but I just said, can I just say one yeah, thing real ahead, quickly on that? He's still, and I'm not even going to go based on the draft position, he's still a rookie quarterback with no playoff experience. Well, Molly, here's it, and I'm going to pick it back. him to make mistakes. That's where I'm going with this, Molly. This is what, this, I think, you know, I brought up the, the Dallas Cowboys offensive, offensive line. What Dallas really needs to do, make, try to make the 49ers one-dimensional. Since Brock Purdy's been the starting quarterback, the, the, the San Francisco 49ers average over 150 rushing yards per game. He hasn't had the pressure on him yeah. because you, anytime you have a running game that can that, that you can lean on, where is the pressure on the quarterback? Make this thing Dak versus Brock Purdy. If you can, if Dallas can somehow, some way, yeah, slow down that run, I slow agree. down the rushing game, and put it on the quarterback. Let's see how he matches up going blow to blow. Blow for blow with Dak Prescott. So everybody thinks Purdy's due to wake up, it's midnight, and he's no longer Cinderella. If that's the case, Dallas can win the game. And that's what you're basically saying. That's, you, but you got to somehow, some way, take away the run, rushing attack from the 49ers. All right. Just... Do we have time for the kicker, Cassandra? Okay. 
So after Brett Mayer's horrific night at the office on Monday, Dallas is bringing in reinforcements. The Cowboys signed Tristan Viscano. Uh, Dan, I need pronunciation on that to its practice squad ahead of Sunday's divisional round duel with the San Francisco 49ers. This is merely insurance as they say they will stick to Mar. All right, Damian, will the Cowboys kickers and their kicking woes cost them the game versus the Niners? I think it could be a problem. I think this, I think this is going to be a problem. Listen, four miss PATs, four, four miss PATs. Now, the only saving grace was the Dallas Cowboys. That game against the, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was over by the half. They didn't need like, the we, points. They didn't need it. Like we, like you, it was obvious that the Dallas Cowboys were the better team against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That was obvious as soon as we got past the first couple series. But now you're going talking about a totally different animal going traveling on the road against San Francisco, where points are going to be at a premium. You don't think a, a kicker doesn't have those thoughts in his head that I miss. Not not 50 off field goals. Basically, essentially, like chip shot, you know, extra points. Four of them in a critical game for the Dallas Cowboys. I just think it's going to be something very hard to overcome for the Dallas Cowboys kicker. Yeah, I think that's an issue. But, you know, Gold's not great either. He missed a 41-yard field goal against the Raiders. He's not as good as he used to be. Uh, had a terrible squib kick last week, which cost him three mm -hmm. points at the end of the half. So I'm not so sure about him either. Dan, I don't know about the kicking mentality of the, of the kid from Dallas. He yeah. did not go for a field goal. You remember that? In the second half, he went for it on fourth down. McCarthy in Tampa. And yeah. I got the idea he did that because he didn't trust the kid to make the kick because he had missed the four extra points. He's going to have to trust him eventually, but I'm going to assume it's a freakish thing. He's had a good year that he'll make a big kick when he has to make a big kick. Yeah. Thoughts there? Yeah, I actually texted McAfee about this. I think this is very similar to, like, golf. You would know that, Doggy. Like, where so sometimes you just stand over a tee ball and – I've sprayed three or four drivers in a row, and I get to the 18th hole in a match, like, I got to hit the ball down the fairway, you know? And it's just finding a way to get outside of your old mind and put a good swing on it. And, and so, like, that, that, the mind is crazy, and I think that's the biggest conversation about this piece is, could it I don't think it's going to cost them. No, I don't. Could it? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, number one, he made a kick after those four misses. So, he did. So that yeah, helps he did. a little bit. So, like, you, you saw – the last kick you saw, it went through the goalpost. So I think that matters. McAfee and I, and I texted Pat because I'm not a kicker and I know this is a different world. And, and I was like, yo, have you, because McAfee made the point, there's a chance he never makes another one again type of thing. Like there's a chance he's done. And then there's the chance that he'll never miss again type thing. Like he'll, he'll, he'll go back. This was just an off night. He'll go back to having a really good season because Maher had a very good season. And, and the mind is, and I said, Pat, have you ever experienced something like this? And, I don't know if he said absolutely this exact situation, but his mindset was he just went back to swinging. Like he said, some guys, they got to go take a whole mental overhaul and restructure everything. And Pat's mindset was like he just went back to, to, to just kept swinging. And so I think the, the, you'll have a pretty good feel, obviously, early on of how he's handled this week. I don't think it is because he saw his last kick go in and he's had a good season. I just think he had a bad night and he tried, he tried, he's just got to get himself back on track. Okay, Dan Maher and is it Vizcano? Did I say it right? I would say I would imagine it's Vizcaino. Okay, all right. Wasn't well, there a baseball player last name Vizcaino? Yeah, Jose Vizcaino. I got a big hit the one on Thursday. I was thinking game. Robinson Cano, but I guess he doesn't have the I in it. Uh, we'll Cano, no, that. he does yeah. not. Yeah. We'll, work, right. we'll, we'll work on that.
Hey, I'm Molly Karam, and thanks so much for listening to the First Take Podcast. The NFL playoffs are here, and the easiest way to get into the action is with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. New customers join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 pet. Just sign up with promo code PLAY. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, with promo code PLAY. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable free bets that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, and West Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming and Kansas or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1877770 stop in Louisiana 1877 hope ny or text hope ny 467369 in New York Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee Geico asks how would you love a chance to save some money on car insurance of course you would and when it comes to great rates on insurance Geico can help like with insurance for your car truck motorcycle boat and rv even help with homeowners or renters coverage plus add an easy to use mobile app available 24-hour roadside assistance and more and geico is an easy choice switch today and see all the ways you could save it's easy simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today Into first take, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have fired offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich, a source confirmed to ESPN today. The decision to fire Leftwich after four seasons as the team's offensive play caller was the first major personnel move made by Todd Bold since he became head coach on March 30th. Now the Bucks went eight and nine this season, winning the NFC South, but fell short of their expectations after a 31 to 14 loss to the Dallas Cowboys in the Wild Card round on Monday night. Dan, I will start with you. What's your reaction to the firing of Byron Lefwich? Yeah, totally needed for this organization. You know, Molly, I tweeted out and I said after watching that game Monday night, I don't know how you could watch what happened in Tampa this season and then re-watch that game that happened on Monday night and not think, man, we got to start all the way over in Tampa. So um, I, I th- this was necessary. I've said this for, I feel, three years. This is one of the least creative offenses in the NFL. I remember even in 2020 when they won the Super Bowl, I said they are so dependent on high-level execution. They do very little to help their players. Now, they adjusted throughout the season into that playoff run, and they were super talented, and that's why they got it done. But um, this offense is so behind in so many different ways when it comes to new-age football. It's in many ways archaic. It's very little motion. They don't do anything that they're good at. I feel like they major in the things that they're bad at. I will say this, and I have no information on this at all. This is just yeah. my assumption. I, I find it odd that this is just a Byron thing. I, I can't imagine Tom doesn't have pretty significant input into their offense. I could be dead wrong on that. But the way that their offense is just played, um, how disconnected the run game is from the pass game, it's almost like coaches don't even talk in their building. So um, necessary move. 
Yeah, it's a little harsh, Danny, a little harsh. I mean, last year they had a very good offensive year. They almost beat the Rams. They were down whatever it was. They came storming back. They only averaged 17 points this year, whatever it was, so I'm not going to scream that he got a raw deal. Uh, I'm not going to go crazy on that, but I, I will be – and they had a bad two-point conversion play against Green Bay. They were all confused. That was a big play in that game, and that was a – everybody was talking about that play. Uh, I, I can't argue with the decision. I don't know if Brady's got anything yeah. to do with it because Brady's not there right now. It's yeah. hard for me to believe that Brady is deciding who the offensive coordinator is going to be when he doesn't even know he wants to play yet. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think Brady has anything to do with it. I'll buy the idea that, you know, maybe a change is necessary. Little harsh. Yep about yep. how bad the offensive creativity is. Listen, obviously we're going to get into the NBA. I've been teasing it all morning, so we have Jay Will here, and I know he's champing at the bit to get in on this. Your reaction to Byron Leftwich, offensive coordinator, being fired by Tampa Bay, first reported by Tampa Bay Times, confirmed by ESPN. I'm just I'm curious, Dan, that, you know, and you're the football expert. I just talk about it for six hours a day on our show in the morning. <laughs> and it's, it's fascinating to me, though, like when this team is last in the league in rushing yards per game, when their O-line is injured and you get a guy like Ryan Jensen back, you know, during the actual playoff game and you're watching the lack of mobility around Tom Brady, I, I get how the offense looks, right? But why does all that fall on Byron Leftwich for a guy that's won multiple divisional titles and last year was one of the hottest coaches on the market, even up for the, the Jaguars job before Doug Peterson got it? It's like I just – when things go really, really well – it's all Tom Brady. And all of a sudden, when Tom Brady doesn't do well, then somebody needs to fall on the sword. And that automatically makes me think something even deeper here because I'm starting to sniff it out. Like, it, does Tom, is Tom actually coming back? Because to me, I've always felt that Tom and Byron had, have had an interesting relationship. And is this a sign that Tom Brady is not going to come back because it seemed like they were ride-or-die partners, which is one of the reasons maybe why Bruce Arians got kicked upstairs. Just yeah, a thought. Well no, I, I think Ryder died partners like Jordan and Anissa last night in the challenge when they dogged walk Amber and Chauncey. I'm with you, Jay. Um, I, listen, and, and Mad Dog, you thought I was a little harsh. This, this is the reality. And, and people who have watched me or NFL Live for three years, I'll go back to the Super And that's why I said, Jay, like, I don't know if it's just a Byron thing, okay? Because yeah. I would, if I was, I'd be like, Tom, what do you want to do? Let, let's just do all the stuff that you want to do. So I can't imagine it's just, I'm going to build the offense and Tom, you get no say. Again, that's me living in an assumption world. The Super Bowl year, I remember vividly watching this offense and going, they're ruining Tom Brady right now. I said that on television. As the year went on, I thought they lived in way more play action. If you guys remember the Super Bowl one, they went on a ton of play action pass, and that helped their offense tremendously. Context of their offense matters as well, Mad Dog and Jay. Like, here's the, here's the, so Tom threw for like 50 touchdowns and 45 touchdowns, played it at an incredibly high level. Mike Evans, Hall of Fame wide receiver. Chris Godwin's as good as a number two wide receiver as there is in football. Rob Gronkowski was still playing at a high level in Hall of Famer. They had the best offensive line in football in 21 in, in 2020. The best. They got a right, guard, right tackle who's one of the best right tackles in football. Jensen's one of the best centers in football. They had two of the best guards in football, and Donovan Smith was playing very well. So, so yes, they, their offense was good, but it was immensely talented as well. Mm -hmm. But there was very little done when it comes to scheme to take the talent and take it to the next level. They executed for stretches really well. But I sit there this year, Jay, and I, and I talked about they, they can't run the football, but why do we continue to run the football? I said almost weekly I felt bad at my job because I would say, Pam Bay, they, they, you need to run more play action. They didn't. Um, so, like, I get where you're coming from, Jay, 
But the reality is it's a production-based business. We all know that. And their offense was bad this year. It wasn't great last year when it comes to we have this talent. Let's make it play better. I, I hear you, Dan. I just think, you know, it's interesting. Regardless, they finished sub-500. They won the division. They made it into the playoffs. I mean, even watching I, – I hear what you're going to say about expectations are always to win the Super Bowl. And I get that when Tom Brady's dropping back to throw the ball 66 times. But you talk about creativity, like creativity, like can Tom Brady's game right now handle the new creativity for where the NFL is going? Because every other quarterback I see right now in the playoffs, they're extremely mobile. They can get out of harm's way. I don't know if Tom's game can actually do that. So to sit up here and say that Tom doesn't have a heavy influence on the offense, at the end of the day, who's allowing him to do that? The organization. I don't know if he does or That's doesn't. why I don't know I don't why Byron Leftwich just falls on the sword. Yeah, I don't know if Tom has influence on the offense. I would assume, but I don't know. I don't know. I would Dan, assume. Dan. We're going to say the GOAT doesn't have influence over the offense? I, I would assu- like I said, Jay, I assume that he would, but I can't say uh, uh, unequivocally that he does. Because I, we don't even know for sure he's coming back next year, right? So. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. We'll play. Can we get to the NBA debate sure. that I've been teasing all morning? Okay, Steph Curry with the shot, having another sensational year, averaging 29 points, and has a good shot of achieving the elite 50-40-90 status for the second time in his career. But has Steph been getting enough credit for his dominance? Jeff Van Gundy stopped by Zach Lowe's podcast, The Low Post. Take a listen. This is a tough competitor who is one of the best players you could ever hope to see And you can make the case to me year in and year out. You can make a strong case. He's he's been the most valuable player in the league over the past decade. And I just don't think we we talk about his greatness enough, his overall greatness and how he's really pulled what was, I thought, an under-talented team last year in Golden State to win it. That was terrific. All right, let's do this. You agree with Jeff Van Gundy, no. incredible basketball no. mind. Steph Jeff. Curry has been the MVP over the last decade. Make I a love com- Jeff. Competitive argument? You can't even make a competitive argument? Let me ask you this. When it was a fair fight between the two of them, LeBron and Steph, who won in the well, finals? Steph, Steph won more of the times. Yeah, but, but, yeah, but, but, I, times. but it was a fair fight. When he, when he, when it was, when, when LeBron had somebody else, not no, let's leave Durant out for a minute. You can't put him and Durant together against LeBron and say it's a fair fight. So when it was a fair fight, when Steph had Thompson and he had Draymond Green and he had himself and, and Kerr and, and and all LeBron had was Irving, that's a fair fight. Okay. Who won? LeBron came back three to one. Right. And who dominated with his block oh, shots LeBron, and all the things? Was incredible. He did. Was that within the last ten years? Yes. How in the world can I sit there and say that Curry in the last 10 years is the best player in the league? When, when they played against each other in a fair fight, Curry lost a three games to one lead, did not play well, did not shoot well in game seven. His team had no juice. Irving outplayed him. Kyrie Irving outplayed him. And LeBron blocking shots on Igalas on that layup by, by, by Iguodala. I, I, can't, I can't go there. Plus, LeBron beat you in so many other ways. Mm-hmm. I can't go there. Now, I love Jeff. One time I had a huge argument with him on radio that he thought Harden was better than Jerry West, which is one of the which, – which I don't want to go I, I, I right can't now. even debate it. That's so ridiculous. And Jeff screamed and yelled about that forever, and that wasn't the case. And he was mad at me. And he knows more about baseball than I ever know, but that one was wrong. This one's not as bad, but there's no way that Curry's better than LeBron last 10 years. 
So first off, as a, as a hooper, I hate this question, Mad Dog, right? Because in order to pick somebody, you gotta, it means you got to demean somebody. Yeah. And we're talking about two guys that are going to be top ten greatest. I, I have LeBron as my greatest all-time. Fine, people can argue with me about Michael Jordan. You want to have him one, number two. And I think Steph, before it's all said and done, will be top seven, top six. Um, so I just want to state that first off. because But we have to do our job and we have to pick somebody, right? So I get a chance to listen to you all the time. I listen know. to you for I, a very I, I long careful. time, right? Yes. And uh, I've always heard you say that you're the greatest player of all time is Michael Jordan. Yes. You, right? Yes. And one of the things that's made Michael Jordan your greatest player is that people came to Michael to play with Michael. So I'm just using your stuff now against your argument. So one of the things against your argument, I hear you physically, LeBron James, but LeBron is going to different places to go win championships. Yeah, which is a right? problem. So when you think about the MVPs, it's not just – physical trophies and awards and because uh, LeBron would win in that category like MVPs final MVPs I hear all that but it's also about the culture and I think that's something that gets very underestimated with Stephen Curry and you see Stephen Curry is a gravitational force on the basketball court right with their continuity the way they play innovatively like he has changed the geometry of how we see basketball right so I equate this as a little kid in the 90s I used to wear a leg sleeve had nothing wrong with my leg but I wanted to be like Mike trying to dunk the ball from the free throw line, right, tongue out, all that stuff. Now when I drive by the park, I see kids shooting the ball from half court. I actually see a new wave ushered into the NBA. Trey Young, other players, smaller, playing that style of basketball. That's number one. So the gravitational pull on the court. Number two, the culture, where it feels like guys want to come play with Steph Curry. So regardless of whether you like his decision or not, Kevin Durant chose to go play with Steph Curry. He's created an organization where it feels like whoever you are, you want to rise up, rise up. I know who I am. You're welcome. Jordan Poole, keep rising. Get your contract. Wiggins, keep rising. Get your contract. I just feel like that's one of those things when we talk about the greatness or the MVP or how you've changed the landscape of the game or changed the geometry of the game or even the culture of, hey, everybody come here, play with me. And if you want to go somewhere, it's fine. But I'm still doing it my way and just won the MVP. I feel like that's undervalued when we talk about the MVP because we equate it to trophies, like physical trophies. Yeah, I think what you said is a lot of good points. Influential, the changing, all the kids shooting threes. LeBron's not going to do that. Curry's going to do that. So I understand that. And yes, Durant went there. And, you know, but Anthony Davis went with LeBron in L.A. But I, I get that, too, winning culture in Golden State. And I definitely agree with you on this last point. It is a knock on LeBron that he's bounced around all over the place. Cleveland, Miami, Cleveland. Lakers, and Curry's played in the same place his whole career. That's a big plus for Curry. I'm into that consistency. What hat is LeBron going to wear when he goes to the Hall of Fame? Is he a Laker? Is he a Heat? Is he... I think you're 100% there. But from a pure standpoint, if I was picking a team in their prime to build a team around, would I pick Curry? Just overall, would I pick Curry or LeBron? I got to pick LeBron. He's going to get me seven or eight rebounds a night. I hear you on that. I mean, he can, I hear you he, he's not as good a shooter. He doesn't make his free throws as much as you'd love. But, I mean, and at times, the competitive assassinate, the competitive juices, he's not the assassin that Jordan was. Jordan was an assassin. LeBron's had some moments in postseason where he was an assassin. That series against Dallas when Nowitzki outplayed him, where LeBron went in there and didn't play well. He was sort of a little, you know, spooked, a little intimidated by the environment. He had to win that first year in Miami and Dallas beat him. That never happened to Jordan. Jordan was never bad in a postseason series. LeBron was. Jordan, so that's lo why Jordan lost some playoff he games. Lost he playoff lost, game, but he he lost never playoff games. Now, it's not like Jordan was like, you know, had this record that was undefeated and unmatched. 
match right. the playoffs. I but, get it when he got to the finals when he got there. But, but you look at the record of getting to the playoffs, there were some lumps there as well. Well, when he lost to Detroit, though, Detroit was a better team. Okay. They, you know, with, uh, with, with Dumars and Isaiah and Lambeer, he didn't have as good a team. The only year you can get on Jordan for not winning was the year he came back from, the, uh, from baseball. When he came back in March and the Magic beat him in six games. Other than that, he always won. All I'm saying is, for me, it was about the, can you make a case yeah, you can make a and, case. and my thing is that people that make- think there's this crazy gap, they're wrong about that. It's a lot closer than what you think. And I'll tell you one last thing about Stephen Curry. And I get the greatness of LeBron James. I'm not trying to sit up here on national TV and demean the greatness of LeBron James. I've seen it up live in person. I, I see the way he thinks about the game. He's brilliant. He's changed the game. You would not know who Stephen Curry is if he had a baseball cap walking down the street. And for somebody who's 6'2", I know against regular people, I'm considered to be tall. I agree with that. What he's doing at that size, how he shoots the ball, that's a top three handle in the league, if not the best handle with Kyrie Irving. I still give the edge to Kyrie. But, I mean, the package now is really different than what it actually gets credit for because the brand, even though I think it's big, it doesn't receive the same amount of attention that we give LeBron on a day-to-day basis. I mean, we talk about the Lakers, and they're in the 11th spot right now in the West. We talk about them like they're number one. So, like, in your face, it's not the same with Stephen Curry. Yeah, I, I, I disagree with you also. I don't think he's the sixth best player of all time. I, I said when it's all said and done. That's a little When strong. it's, when it's I, all said and done. You're telling me he's not going to be top ten when it's all said and done? Well, you got the three centers. He's not better than Tim Duncan. When it's all said and done. Okay. Michael uh, Jordan, LeBron. Uh, that's six. He's not better than Bird and Magic. Okay. We'll see. That's eight. We'll see when it's all said and done. Is he better than Durant? Is he better than Durant? Just don't let him get another chip. This is a good teaser. We'll come, good back. Don't let him we'll get come another back chip. and do this another time. And I like what Jay time. said about his, influ- his influence yeah. because he is very influential. No I, question. I think LeBron goes into the hall as a calf. Rep Akron, you know, I think where he's from. Akron, where he's he won, from. And he won yeah. a championship there and they haven't won in 50 Doggy, years. I understand. Yeah, I know he left I, Cleveland, I but think, he did go back to Cleveland yeah, to win them think, a championship. I mean, that says something about his character. I mean, right? I don't know him, but I, I love think what he did. I love what he did right. there. This season of Life Out Loud with me, LZ Granderson, we're talking family in the LGBTQ plus community. And what could be a better place to start than with my son to share our story? At one point, you left for yes. a significant portion of that kind of early development stage of life. We go there, like all the way there, about the joys and the sacrifices. We also turn an eye to the future. Are you trying to tell me that I'm going to be a grandfather one day? I want to see you keep some plants alive first. (laughs) (laughs) And this, this is only the beginning. You can find Life Out Loud with me, LG Granderson, wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Thursday. Oh, this weekend's going to be fun. Get your popcorn ready. The much-anticipated divisional round of the playoffs kicks off. Saturday afternoon, we got Trevor Lawrence and the Jags looking for that huge upset against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Then the New York football Giants look to take down the one-seat Eagles. On Sunday, we have Burrow versus Allen, and America's team will look to end Brock Purdy's success and reach their first NFC Championship game since the 1995 season. We now welcome in our gambling guru, live from Vegas, Joe Morinbaugh. Did you get doggy this time? I know you guys have already met, so we'll leave the pleasantries for another time. We'll get right into the slate here. So Jacksonville, an eight-and-a-half-point road underdog at KC. Do they pull the upset in back-to-back weeks, Joe? I appreciate that we're moving quickly here, Molly, because I do have to get back to my book tour in a moment. So thank you for the brevity. Now, as to this pick... 
Now, as to my pick, I've got no faith in Jacksonville this weekend. I'm laying the eight and a half with Kansas City. We all know how well Andy Reid performs when he's coming off a bye, yada, yada, yada. I'm going to leave that out there. The problem for Jacksonville is that this is a bad matchup stylistically for them. Their weakness is their pass defense. It's one of the worst in the NFL. Last I checked, Kansas City can throw the ball, and they can throw the ball with a lot of success on a regular basis. Nice story for the Jags last week, coming back to beat the Chargers, who did everything they could to go out of their way to lose that game. I don't see that happening at Arrowhead in some cold weather with a hostile environment, laying the points. Chiefs also an excellent six-point teaser option. Well, the two things I don't like about it, it's not fun to root for Kansas City, Joe, because Jacksonville's the, you know, the Cinderella team, and the Chiefs are not good as big favorites. Denver, they have done a terrible job. They have not covered the big number. Houston, I go on and on. They have not covered the big number all year. That would worry me by more than a touchdown. Life on the line, I think Joe's right. I would worry about the Chiefs' propensity to keeping these teams in the game. Life, life on the line, so dramatic. Yes. All right, let's get to the one we're all waiting for. It's the NFC Showdown. New York at Philly, who's seven and a half point home favorites. Joe, tell America you're very unbiased with this, where you're from. Uh, what's the play here? I am biased. I'm from Allentown, Pennsylvania. I am an Eagles fan, but I'm a self-loathing Eagles fan. I bet against them more than I bet on them because I don't have faith. This week, however, since it's little blue, I'm going to lay the seven and a half. Let me whoa, take you through two whoa. things here. Number one, wow. these two yeah. teams got together a few weeks ago in New York, mid-December. Philly was laying seven and a half in that game. Now they're laying seven and a half, but the game's at home, and they have an extra week of preparation coming off the bye. I think there's value in the number. The Giants are what I like to call Minnesota light, okay? Overrated based on the record. They're 10-4-1 in one-score games, and including that playoff win last week, the Giants have a plus-one point differential through 18 games. Plus-one. Dable's a great coach. It's been a fun story. The Eagles squash it this weekend and cover the number. Boy, I even go, I think Joe's nuts. Right. I'm going to go the other way. I'll take the Giants on the money line. When the Giants get a little something <laughs> going historically, they do their thing. And I'll tell you, Lane Johnson, is he going to play? Hurts hasn't played in five weeks. And one other thing, Joe, keep this in mind. The Giants play this game with complete house money. The fans have had a great year no matter what. That fan base in Philadelphia, if this game gets tight, there'll be tension in that stadium that you won't even believe. They'll boo the Eagles off the field if they trail at the half. I think it's worth a run. Giants straight up. Forget the points. Let's what go. The plus 200. What's the money line? Take them on the money line. Little blue. Just in, keep it wait, moving. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Keep it Little moving. blue in Minnesota light. I just want Loose to make draw. sure. Thank, thanks for that bulletin board material. We got that. All right, we'll keep going. Burrow versus Allen. The numbers Allen. don't lie. The numbers don't oh, lie. Oh, sometimes numbers do lie. Sometimes stats lie. Men lie, women lie, and numbers do lie. All right, Burrow versus Allen. Does <laughs> Buffalo cover giving five and a half points at home, Joe? All right, so this is the one I have the least amount of confidence in. I want to make that very clear. The market is telling us Buffalo. I mean, this game opened three and a half, and it goes up to four. 
four and a half, five, five and a half. And the Bills haven't looked great as of late. The defense didn't look good against Miami. You got to wonder what we're going to get from them this week against Cincinnati, who at every turn this season has answered the bell. But there's two big problems for Cincinnati in this game, which is why I think the money's coming in on Buffalo. Number one, the offensive line. It was average to begin with, and every single week they seem to lose a starter. I believe they're going to be down three starters to this game on the road in a hostile environment. Number two, and this has got to be, people need to talk about this more. How much is left in the tank for Cincinnati after back-to-back games against Baltimore? Those games are very taxing. Teams that played the Niners this year are 0-15 the following week because that game is so physical. Baltimore takes a piece of your soul when they play you, whether they win or lose. And they played Cincinnati two weeks in a row. I wonder how Cincinnati feels just physically coming into this game. Yeah, I think this is a tricky game, too. I think you can do it either way. But the one thing I'm definitely going to do, Joe, I would take the points. Five and a half is too many. Uh, the, the Bills are erratic. Didn't cover against Miami. Didn't cover against Cleveland. Didn't cover against Buffalo, against uh, Detroit on Thanksgiving. Did, lost at home to Minnesota. This team didn't cover against the Jets. This team does not cover. I think it's tricky. Buffalo could win the game, but I think the five and a half is a good play. And remember one other thing. I hate to bring it up, but three weeks ago, Buffalo was about to be down 14-3 in that game in Cincinnati. Mm. They, were, they were about to be down 14-3. Cincinnati did a great job on their first drive, was driving on their second drive, and held Buffalo to a field goal on their first drive. I know it's only nine minutes. I don't want to read too much into it, but Cincinnati looked like they were in good shape that day. I'll take the five and a half. Okay. Not the money line. Risky. I'm with Joe on that. Tough game. I'll take the five and a half. All right. Uh, before we get to the last one, you brought up injuries. I was just wondering, Joe, how your shoulder's feeling. You might want to just watch when you're, you know, you know, shoulder. You get it? All right. Lastly, we got Dallas. You're just, you're just full of them today, aren't you? You are just full of them today. It took him a second to get that. Dallas is getting four. What do you like in this huge showdown? Laying it with San Francisco. This is the one I like the most. I know everyone's excited about Dallas. Look at the situation. San Francisco's at home. They've got two extra days of rest. They've got the better defense, and they've got the smarter head coach when it comes to scheming for these matchups. Nice win for Dallas on Monday. Still don't trust Prescott based on all those turnovers. 100%. Uh, Dallas would be fun to root for with the four points money line, but it's hard to go against San Francisco. I'm surprised the line's not a little higher. Joe and I agree on the last one. I'll take the, I'll take the Niners, too. Mm. Not bad. All right, Joe. Joe, Giants money line. Joe, you're lucky we're out of time because we're about to have a friendly wager. A lot of nice stores I like there in Vegas could do some damage. All right, Joe, we'll see you next week. We'll see how it all plays (laughs) out. I can't wait for it, my friend. Buccaneers have fired offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich. A source confirmed to ESPN today the decision to fire Leftwich after four seasons as the team's offensive play caller was the first major personnel move made by Todd Bowles since he became head coach on March 30th. The Bucs won 8-9 this season, winning the NFC South but fell short on Monday night. Of course, losing in the wildcard round to the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, Dan, I want to start with you. What do you think this means for Tom Brady's future with the Bucks. Um, well, it depends on what his relationship with Leftwich was. I would imagine if Tom was coming back and was adamant on coming back and, and liked Leftwich, he would have stayed. And I would imagine if Tom was adamant on coming back and didn't like Leftwich, then this move would be something that's necessary. I don't think this move is attached to Tom Brady's decision. I know people don't like hearing this, but watch the offense. 
It was incredibly predictable. It was wildly uncreative. I don't care how old the quarterback is. Harry would know this. They would put Mike Evans as the single receiver. He would run a one-on-one route that was either a go route or a stop route, nine out of ten times. Chris Godwin would be in the middle. He would run a crossing route. Like They would run the football on first down so often and couldn't. They would do no play action. They lived in the things that they were poor at and didn't in the things that they were good at. So I don't think that this decision is attached to Tom Brady's. I just think that this was necessary for a football team that was not good on offense. Yeah, I don't think Brady has anything to do with it either because I don't think even he knows exactly what he's going to do for next year. So I'm with Dan 100% on that. I'll let the two players analyze, you know, what the system did and did not do. Uh, But again, from a production standpoint, how do you complain? I mean, the Buck offense this year was terrible. They couldn't run the ball. They were awful the other night. They barely could do anything against the Dallas defense. They had trouble scoring in a bad division all year long. Good defenses in that division, Carroll and everything else. But still, this is a terrible offensive team all year long. So, to me, if they fired Joe Lombardi in, the, in, San, in L.A., who, you know, whose team made the playoffs, won 10 games, and really, if he had done a better job with his decision-making, Staley, they could have won that game without worrying about this scenario in the fourth quarter. Should have gone for it on fourth and three, kicked the field goal instead, stupid. I agree. But the bottom line is, from that standpoint, if they can fire him, they can fire Leftwich. I'm going to base it on productivity, Harry. I didn't see a lot of productivity. Yeah, when I look at this move, I don't think it had anything to do with, you know, Tom Brady. I don't think Tom Brady was going back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers regardless. So I agree with both of you guys. Um, but when they look at that offense, it was very troubling to watch on numerous of occasions this year. And you can sit up here and say, you look at two games, the Dallas Cowboy game, the first game of the year, and the game in Munich against the Seattle Seahawks. And you can really put an asterisk beside the first game of the year. Those were the only games that we could say the Dallas, I mean, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers kind of played, you know, a, a complete game offensively. Other than that, the rest of the games, they did not. This was an offense that is predicated with Tom Brady as a quarterback based off play action. They didn't have a run game. They were 32nd in the lead in that. They were 25th in red zone efficiency and scoring a touchdown. And we all know that a lot of that came before Rob Gronkowski not being there with Tom Brady. But we know how good Tom Brady has been in the red zone throughout his entire career. But then you also look at how the lack of creativity. There was no creativity on this offense. And then you mentioned it. Hey, Mike Evans, just line up, run a go route. That's as basic as possible. I don't think they should have won the game against Carolina to get into the playoffs. That's true. But based on bad cornerback play, they ended up in. 100%. I'm with you. I don't, yeah. And again, I don't, think Brady's, I don't think Brady has any idea what he's going to do right now. Right. The season just ended. Yeah. It's going to take him a month or two yeah. to digest it all. A lot to process everything yes. that happened, that kind of thing. Uh, let me just say this. You all did a fantastic job. You're the best, Molly. You keep it Thank you guys so much. Uh, it was a great show. Stephen A. will be back tomorrow, so we're looking forward to having him back. If you're in Philly, he has a book signing today. You can check out details on his more Twitter, book. Instagram. More book. Might have to go. It's oh called Straight Shooter. We get the idea. Down to Philly um, and get I, a am, I am mentioned in the book. You are. <laughs> you guys were a little rough, a little hard on each other in the A block, but you played nice the rest of the way. Nice work.